I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're going to be spending time in Revelation chapter 20, chapter 21, and chapter 22. If you have a Bible app, I'm going to be using the NIV. And as you turn to that, I want to remind you of the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Remember way back when we started this study, the uh, greatest stories of the Bible, our very first story was on the creation account in Genesis, in the beginning. Now, if there's a beginning to a story, there has to be an end, doesn't it? Yeah. So how does our story end? Well, we shall see how it ends. But meanwhile, what we want to do is I want to remind you of two truths that, we, that I think that I saw that uh, when we went through the series. And the first one was that this book, the Bible, is about the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and work from beginning to end. He's reflected in every book. Secondly, we worship the God who makes promises to us and then calls upon us to believe that he keeps his promises. That's the Bible in a nutshell. That is what goes on there. And this brings us all the way back to the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is about the Lord Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, the book of Revelation can be a daunting read, can it? It's got all these visions and all these symbols and beasts and locusts and fire and all this stuff. It's easy to get lost and to get off on a tangent. I want to give you three principles, something that has to do with the type of literature that it is, to keep you from getting lost in the book so that you have your bearings. Number one, Revelation is first and foremost a letter. It is a letter that was written. And why were letters written in the New Testament? To help specific churches that were going through specific situations. So the book of Revelation meant something to the Mary and Bill of that day. It meant something to them, things that they were going through. So we have to hear it the way that they heard it first. Revelation was written to seven churches in Asia Minor, probably about 90 AD by the Apostle John. The emperor Domitian was on the throne, and he was demanding emperor worship. Persecution was beginning to spread throughout the, throughout the empire and was only going to get worse, intensify, in the next 100 years. It had been 60 years since Christ ascended into heaven. Things weren't getting any better. They were getting worse. Where's Jesus? The believers were getting frustrated, and they were tempted to uh, set their beliefs aside, to compromise their beliefs, and to abandon the faith altogether. So John writes these beleaguered uh, believers, and he informs them, he assures them, Jesus wins. Anybody ask you what the book of Revelation is about? That's it. Jesus wins, and he's victorious on the basis of his cross. That's what the book's about. And he encourages them to persevere in their faith despite mounting difficulties. That's the purpose behind the book, not to give us a calendar of events, but that we might persevere. Secondly, Revelation is a prophecy. And I don't mean it's just merely predictive, but God has something to say to us. And what he wants to say is this, Jesus is in control despite difficulties. Last, Revelation is an apocalypse. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is this. The word apocalypse simply means unveiling. So in the book of Revelation, we have an unveiling, a revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ that he's in control 
of all of history. And John does this with a series of curtain pulls throughout the book. God pulls back the curtain of heaven, and we get a glimpse, just a small glimpse, into what God is doing in redemptive and human history. So today, what we want to look at is what I would call the last three curtain pulls. And we want to see where our story ends and where it's going to take us. So let's turn over to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, and we're going to see our very first curtain pull. And so you know, the little notes you have there of your, uh, your three observations, that's going to be at the very end. So let's see our very first curtain pull. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done their works, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to their works. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown or cast into the lake of fire. The end of our story begins with judgment. The dead are raised, they stand before God, and they're judged. We know from history that one out of one dies. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us that is appointed unto man once to die, but after this comes judgment. Now, the reality of this and the seriousness of this must not be avoided. Judgment will fall on those whose names are not written in the book of life. So with this curtain open, what I want to do is look through our text and see what John sees. So right away, let's begin in, in verse 11. The first thing John sees is a great white throne. Now, this is the only place in the book of Revelation where the throne of God has these additional modifiers. It's a great white throne. It's great because of the one who's sitting on it. It's white because in Revelation, white always represents holiness, justice, vindication. God is absolutely holy and just and vindicated in his judgment of man. And who is it that's sitting on the throne? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 17.30, uh, I think it's Acts 17.31 tells us that God has appointed a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. It is Jesus Christ who's on the throne because he was crucified, because he was obedient. And so the dead will stand before the crucified lamb. And as we move further into our text, John describes a staggering scene. Before this lamb, seated on, seated on the throne, earth and heaven flee from his presence. Now the picture that he's painting here is that the entire creation, before the presence of Christ, turns around and runs and is never seen again. I think there's three truths that are emphasized here. They're not going to be up on the screen, so you want to write these down. Uh, number one, I think we see the comprehensive transcendence of God. Now, that's a mouthful. What does it mean? Well, it means this. The transcendence of God means that he is 
above his creation. He's outside of his creation. He's not part of it. We have a picture of an entire universe that is dwarfed by the presence of God. The universe is dwarfed by the presence of God, and it turns around and flees from his presence. That brings us to our second truth. Before the new can come in, the new creation, the old has to pass. And that's what happens. And there's a third truth here, and you don't want to miss this, because everything is gone. There is no place to run. There is no place to hide on Judgment Day. Everything that man thought could protect him, mountains, valleys, the oceans, buildings, governments, institutions are gone. The dead stand fully exposed before the judge. Look how he describes the dead. He describes them as the dead, great and small. The whole idea here is that every class of humanity will be represented. On judgment day, our status will not matter. Rich man, poor man, free, slave, male, female, all races stand before God and they're judged by the same criteria. And that is found in the next part of his vision where he tells us the books were opened. And he's kind enough to tell us that these are record books. I got a question for you. <laughs> Does God need a ledger? Does God need books to keep track of what we're doing? What do you think? No, no. I think these are metaphors to describe God in human terms so we can better understand him. We don't want to miss the greater truth. And the greater truth is this. God knows everything about me. Everything. There is nothing that is hidden in his sight. Nothing that I can keep secret because of, of his omniscience, because of his unfailing memory. He can judge me according to my works because he has seen those works. He knows them. We're judged according to our works. Now, I don't want you to think for a moment that I'm saying, thinking that God is going to set up some gigantic uh, balancing scale and he's going to put our good works on one side. He's going to put our bad works on the other side. And if the good works outweigh the bad works, into heaven you go. No. But Isaiah chapter 64, all our works of righteousness are as filthy rags. There is no good work that we could do that can stand scrutiny on the day of judgment. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need something else. What do we need? Well, our text tells us our names must be written in the book of life. How? By believing in Jesus. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and, 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 and rose again. The necessity of faith shouldn't be ignored. The opportunity to believe ought not be missed. Why? Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There's finality here. I want you to understand that after death, there are no second chances. This is final. But Jesus, 
in the now, in the present. Reaches out his arms to us and he bids us to come. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. John chapter 3. Whoever believes in me will not be condemned, but have eternal life. So, you mean, all I have to do is come to Jesus and believe, and I'll escape this condemnation? Yeah. Yeah. That's what the scripture says. Now, before this, script, before this curtain closes, I want you to notice something. And I want to bring this to your attention. And this is how the believer views the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, um, Jesus, uh, the, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says, uh, Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Through Jesus Christ, this judgment seat has been transformed into a throne of grace, a true mercy seat. Because of the blood of Christ, we have direct access to God, direct access to the Holy of Holies. And we can come to him to find perseverance in our time of need. Now, as this curtain closes, and this curtain was describing final judgment, judgment day, the next curtain is going to open. Now, I like this curtain a little bit better. I think you will, too. Because behind curtain number two, as God opens up this curtain, we see the new creation, new heavens and new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful dressed for her husband. And I looked, and a loud voice from the throne cried out, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. He will be his people, and God will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. He who was sitting on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. What a beautiful picture. New creation. Why? The old creation's gone. There's a new one. This is what the Bible, both in the book of Revelation and all throughout the, the Old Testament, pointed to since the fall of man, since the ruin of creation, that one day God is going to make the creation new. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Behold, I am making all things new. And all the former things are passed away. Everything that was ruined in the old is recreated and beautified in the new. Isn't that lovely? And look what he does here. Um, John tells us that these former things are passed away. Well, what are the former things? Well, how nice of John that he gives us a list. And he starts out with no more sea. Now, that's significant. Why is this important? It's the very first thing he mentions. Why is no more sea important? Our answer, because 
In the Bible, particularly in Revelation and Daniel, the sea represents turmoil, the rebellion and sinfulness of man, the kingdom of God, excuse me, the kingdom of man opposed to the kingdom of God. We see that in Revelation chapter 7, if you remember that. Um, there are four beasts, four kingdoms that rise out of this churning sea. If you go over to Revelation chapter 13, the last beast, the great beast, rises up out of the sea to make war with the saints and war with the world. But in the new creation, the sea is gone. Satan and his allies have been replaced. What have they been replaced with? Peace, calm, tranquility. John doesn't stop there. There are some other former things that are gone. He tells us there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because they have passed away. Now, that's hard for us to understand, isn't it? It's gone forever, all these things. That's something that I can't comprehend because we have lived all of our lives in a world that is full of pain. It's full of crying. We see this every day on the news. People dying, we see pain. Are you looking forward to a day where there's no more crying? No more grief? Well, in our text, what is that replaced with? What is that replaced with? What's replaced with the presence of God. The presence of God with us in an intimate way as he wipes away all of our tears like a loving father. Everything that makes people weep whether publicly or while they're alone, is completely wiped away, and it's replaced with God's care in a loving manner. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just amazing? Now, here's the thing. This new creation has already begun in us. Did you know that? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 uh, Paul is going to take Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, and he's going to apply it to the believers. And he says, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed, the new is gone. Uh, the, uh, the old has passed, the new has come. This is something that God has begun in you when you believed. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, I don't feel like a new creation. My body aches, I'm getting older, I'm starting to mummify. I'm just starting to fall apart here. But no. No, what he tells us is God already began this new creation in you. And it's a process throughout your life. And it's going to be consummated when Christ returns. And in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, we are all transformed into the image of Christ. This new creation is going to be worth waiting for, isn't it? God is not only going to renew our souls, he's going to renew our bodies. Total transformation. Now, this curtain closes. The beginning of our story started with judgment. Judgment resulted in a new creation. But what about us? What about the people of God? Where do we fit into all this story? Well, to answer that, we're going to have to look at our last curtain pull. And that's found in Revelation chapter 21, uh, verses 9 through 21, also uh, 22, the first five verses. I'm not going to read all these. I'll write them down and read them at home. They're beautiful verses. I'm just going to glean something from the passages. 
starting in verse 9, chapter 21, one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came to me and said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the great glory of God and its brilliance was like that of every precious jewel. He's going to go on and name all these wonderful jewels. Let's scroll ahead to verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. God reaches out and takes a hold of that curtain, the curtain of heaven, and he pulls it back. And what do we see? We see us. We see the perfected people of God in a perfect place. The perfected people of God in a perfect place. It has been God's plan since the very beginning to call out a redeemed people for his name and then conform them to the image of Christ. Revelation 21 through 22 gives us a little taste, just a little glimpse of this. Now, I don't want you to get confused here. Um, all these wonderful descriptives that John gives us, streets of gold, gates, well, these pearly gates, uh, all these wonderful metals and precious stones, they're not talking about heaven. I don't mind singing about that. That's fine. I'm not going to be petty, but they're not talking about heaven. They're talking about new creation. Primarily, they're talking about us. It's a description of us. Because why? This new Jerusalem that's coming down is called the Bride of Christ. What is the church called? The church is called the Bride of Christ. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we are the temple of God. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we are living stones being built up into a house. Uh, for, for me, the kicker is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to read these to you. Paul is seeing us here as a finished state, what God is doing in our lives now and how he completes it. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us next to him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages, where we're at, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, he's saying, we're going to be trophies put on display of God's grace. Then he goes on to say, for by the grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's what I want you to see. For we are God's handiwork. That work handiwork has the idea we are God's creative masterpiece. That's what the word is used for. And as we get down to verses 21 and 22, he's going to talk about a building a great spiritual building being built up. And the point is this, that God in calling people to be saved and us coming to Jesus Christ is slowly building this masterpiece, his bride, this creative work that he's doing to be trophies of his grace on display forever. And in Revelation chapter 21, when we see that bride coming down from heaven, that is us being presented as God's trophies, trophies of his grace. God's perfected people, 
that he has finished what he started in me to do. All my weaknesses, gone. My stumbling, gone. God's perfected people. It is a perfected people, but I don't want you to lose sight that it's also a perfect place. There's a place mentioned here. I'm not going to belabor this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But it's a perfect place because we're with Jesus. We're with him. Starting in chapter 19 of Revelation, all the way to the end of the book, there is a marriage motif going on, a marriage theme. And what John and what uh, God through John is emphasizing is that believers throughout eternity are going to be in union and communion with Christ like a loving marriage. We are going to be with him communion forever. Isn't that a great end to our story? Yeah, what, 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 began in, what began in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, with creation and ruin, ends with union with Christ and glory. That's a great story, a great end to our story. But here's the kicker. All these wonderful promises enable me, they enable us to be victorious in the now. Revelation was written so that we might be victorious in the now. And by persevering in the faith and bearing testimony for Christ, this is what we do while we wait for our story to end. Revelation is going to emphasize that, persevering in the faith. Now, we don't abandon our faith simply because we go through hard times. Because somebody from church disappointed us. Because of the death of a loved one or a spouse. Because things are difficult out there. We persevere in our faith Bearing testimony, how do we do this? I think Revelation 12, 11 gives us the answer. It says they overcame him, that's Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we overcame. Because he was obedient even to the death of the cross, he created a way for us. Well, what's that way? Well, that takes us back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to help in time of need. Jesus Christ opened the way for us. He opened up the throne of grace where we can come to God directly in prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the key that unleashes the resources of Christ so that we can persevere in this life now. And these are your fill-ins. Fervent. Forgot what they were. No. Fervent, prescriptive, or, or persistent prayer. We have to keep praying to God. We get a hold of God and we never let go. Persistent prioritized prayer. We pray for power. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again in closing. Believers persevere. They are strengthened by prayer to God while we read the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God while we are connected to and serving with the people of God. It all goes hand in hand. 
God has given us every resource we need to be successful while we wait for our story to end. So what do we say to these things? I think we say with John, the closing verses of Revelation, even so come, Lord Jesus, even so come.